So today we're going to continue our series that we started together last week entitled Resolution. And uh, we began talking about what if uh, we made a resolution that said our greatest focus, effort, and decision for 2016 was to know God uh, and to do His will. And we began last week, I told you we're going to spend two weeks talking about what does it mean to know God intimately, and then we're going to spend the next three weeks starting next Sunday on how do we discern, uh, know, and do the will of God. And what we're recognizing, and I hope we've already begun to learn last Sunday, uh, is that knowing God is really the foundation stone for doing the will of God. What we do really should flow out of who we know, right? It ought to flow out of a relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's exciting about Christianity is that Christianity, really the lifeblood of Christianity is a relationship with Christ. That is the lifeblood of it. If you move, any, if you move outside of a relationship with Christ and you begin to function in religious activity, then that's all you have. You have religious activity. You're jumping through the hoops. You're following rules and regulations. But it is that relationship with God uh, that makes everything that we do come alive. It's that relationship with God uh, that makes life interesting. How many of you know that relationships make life interesting? Did y'all know that, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you were to live your life all alone, if you were to live isolated and separated from all the world, then you would have a boring life. But when you get in relationship, right? When you get in relationship with people, relationship creates interesting things, right? All of a sudden when you get in a relationship, you begin to experience things you wouldn't experience, right? How many of you have some of those friends, uh, and, and I know we've had those negative relationships, but what about good relationship? How many of you have some of those friendships that when you get around certain people, they just their, their relationship with you just compels you to do things you normally wouldn't do, maybe to try things you normally wouldn't try, to experience things you wouldn't normally experience, right? Brother Rod and Mary uh, Aguilard, who's our spiritual father, they come in a couple times a year. And this past June, uh, Brother Rod was here, and you know, Brother Rod, he's just, he's just, he's just, he's crazy, right? They're just saying a whole lot. He, he's just crazy. He's crazy for Jesus. He's just radical about all these things. He's been locked up for preaching the gospel. And you know what? I, I get around Brother Rod, and and I just, I just, I just kind of want to do crazy stuff. You know, I just think, man, I'd like to go to jail for Jesus. I mean, that just kind of, you know, really does stir up in my heart. When you, you know, so there's relationships. Relationships make life interesting. You know, I look at Stephen, I, I think about Stephen, and you know, when you look, I mean, he's just like buff. And so when I get a relationship with Stephen, it makes me think about working out. And I'm like, man, that just, that's good thinking. And then I go eat something. And so it's, you know, it's just exciting. Relationships do that, right? When you get in a relationship with somebody, relationships compel you to engage in things outside the box of your normality. And when you and I get in a genuine, life-giving relationship with God, it is out of knowing God that we begin to do His will because that is that relationship that all of a sudden it just automatically begins to happen because I'm living life with Him. Now I am compelled through relationship to experience things I would never experience, to, to go places I would never go, and, and to do things I would never do. I, I just went this past weekend Friday 
uh, I drove down, me and Samantha, we went down to Louisiana. I preached at a church in a little place called A Meet, Louisiana. And just a great little town, great little church, Cornerstone Church. And Brother Rod asked me to come down last week and preach for him. And so me and Samantha drove down Friday and the pastor picks us up and he says, uh, he says, where, where do you want to go eat? He said, you want some good Cajun food? And I said, no. <laughs> let's just eat something normal. We're fasting. Let's do something I can eat. Right? And so, you know what? I, there are some times that uh, relationships, they, they, just, they just introduce things to you. And, and most of the time I like. I went with John and Pam, uh, Kelly and I, last year we were in Louisiana preaching. And uh, they said, hey, we're going to take you. They took us to Rockies. Yes, you know what Rockies is, right? And they brought us out this food, and I'm like, I ate stuff. I didn't even know what it was, and it was good. You get around Rod and Diana. Y'all know Rod and Diana. Rod and Diana, we prayed for y'all Wednesday night, by the way. Uh, we, 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 Wednesday uh, was our prayer focus, and Wednesday is uh, we're praying for unreached people. We're praying for our missions. But Rod and Diana, I get around Rod and Diana, and I end up going to Africa. I mean, who goes to Africa? I mean, I'll go to Africa and preach the gospel and, and eat all kind of interesting things in Africa because that's what relationships do relationships introduce you to things you would never have been introduced to in your own little world and so Christianity is all about a relationship with God that begins to introduce you to things you would never experience outside of that relationship. Let's look at our scripture. It's Daniel chapter 11 verse 32. It's a prophetic word about end times. And the Bible says, those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong. That word strong literally means there to be resolved, uh, to be unwavering or unmoving. They will be strong and do exploits. Now here's the great thing. God wants us to do exploits and in order to do exploits, we have to be strong. And in order to be strong, we have to know God. So before you can be strong enough to do what God wants you to do, you've got to know God intimately enough to have the fortitude in your heart to stand fast in the midst of trial and tribulation, right? So let's look at our first point. We touched about this last week. We said a resolution is more than a wish Right, we said we don't need wishbone, we need backbone. It's more than a wish. It is a firm decision to act. It is the quality of being determined or resolute. I put in parentheses there, unshakable, unwavering, unmovable. I heard a message yesterday uh, on a podcast, and a guy made this statement. He says, just because you know what is right doesn't automatically mean you will do what is right. As a matter of fact, if you think about our lives, most of the time when we made wrong decisions, we actually knew the right decision. The problem is not that we didn't know the right thing to do. The problem is we didn't have the inner fortitude to do the right thing in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. When the peer pressure was on, when the expectations were on, when all the eyes were on you and everybody was watching and wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? How's he going to react? Many times, even though we knew the right thing to do, we don't do the right thing because knowing the right thing does not necessarily equate to you having the strength and fortitude of heart to make the right decision. But I want to interject to you today that I believe that knowing God gives you the resolve to do the right thing. Not only do we need to know the right thing, but we need to know God 
in such an intimate fashion that when we are confronted with the challenge, not only do we know the right thing, but we know the right one. We know Him who creates a resolve, makes us strong, so we can do the thing that we've been called to do. So let's look at our next point. We said, what if we resolve to know God and do His will? What if we grasp the spiritual law of intimacy? And we said the spiritual law of intimacy is simply this. Intimacy with God produces life. John 6, 63, they got it, they can put it on the screen. John 6, 63, Jesus is speaking. He said, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. Right, the law of intimacy says intimacy with God produces life. When I get in a real relationship with God, a real relationship with God will introduce and bring into my life the life of God. It will bring eternal life, right, because John 17, 3 says this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus whom you see it. It will bring abundant life. All of a sudden, I'll begin to experience the abundance and the provision of God. It will bring victorious life. Let me say to you today, if you find yourself constantly struggling with the same old sin... The challenge or the victory over sin is not knowing more about your sin. It's knowing God. See, in our, in our psychological world today, we want to analyze our problem. What we really need to do is find a real relationship with the solution. It's not an analytical approach to my problem that gives me victory over sin it's not that I understand my problem it's that I know my God and if I know my God I will be strong and do exploits so intimacy with God produces life intimacy with God produces life so what if we grasp hold of that little spiritual principle let's go back to that screen what if we grabbed hold of that little principle and we said you know what we are going to refuse to be moved because we said last week that one of the biggest challenges in our Christian life is that we move away from a place of intimacy with God because this is what happens when you get in an intimate relationship with the Lord every time you step into a place of intimacy with God every time you see him in a way you've never seen him you also see yourself in a way you've never seen yourself. See, because when you get in the light, the light has an amazing way of revealing truth. Now, uh, Kelly uh, texted me yesterday. We were on our way home, and, and uh, she texted me, and Samantha was texting for me so I could, I could drive and she could text. And so Kelly said, hey, I'm, I'm going to get some stuff. I'm updating a little bit of our bathroom. So I got home, and she had went and bought this big old mirror that's not big enough. But it's big. She bought this big old mirror, and we got lights all in our bathroom, and she bought some extra lights to go in our bathroom because when she does her makeup, right, she has to, she has to be able to see. All you ladies understand? Y'all know what I'm talking about, ladies? Right? And, and, and so, you know, she's in there, and we got this big old mirror, and we got all these extra lights because she's putting on her makeup, and she looks beautiful. Doesn't she look beautiful? Look at my, oh, wow. But, but maybe you guys can relate with this. Have y'all noticed, men, your wife will spend a small amount of time getting ready in front of the mirror, and then you leave the house. You walk out to the vehicle, get in the car, and what's the first thing she does? Looks in the mirror. And then what's the second thing she does? 
breaks out the little brush. And I'm like, what do you, you just, you know, you just walked out of the house. I mean, you, you know, in there, spend a little time in front of the mirror, come out here, first thing, and then she always says to me, well, the light's different. What she says, right? Is that what you say? The light's different. How many of you know, I'm going somewhere, how many of you know that when you get in the light of God's presence, you see things about you that aren't quite right? And the greater the light, the greater the revelation that comes into your life. And so here's the challenge. When we get in the light of His presence, and God, God's nature begins to reveal the character flaws of our own heart and then the Lord because he loves us begins to work on us we said last week when we get uncomfortable we typically move and we move away from a place of intimacy because if I stay in that place I can actually see him and when I see him I actually see me in a pretty accurate light and I realize there are some things in me that aren't right and God begins to work on my heart and when I get uncomfortable, I want to move away from that place of intimacy. And so we said last week that I've got to grab hold of this spiritual law of intimacy and understand that, hey, I've got to resolve in my heart that even when I'm uncomfortable, I've got to stand in that place of intimacy because if I know that God loves me, then I know that every work that God is doing in my life is for my good. And if I'll stay in that place of intimacy, God will perfect His work in my life and I will actually be made mature or perfected is the King James word in Christ matured in Christ to a new level of living that I could never experience outside of that place of intimacy and so I've got to know God so so let's look at our next thought I want you to see just a couple things and we're gonna get where we're going today so we said that the secret to to doing the will of God is knowing God intimately. The secret to doing the will of God is knowing God intimately. So the more deeply, intimately that I know Him, out of that knowing comes the doing of living a life that pleases the Lord. So today I want to give you what I'm just simply calling the three eyes of intimacy. The three eyes of intimacy. And I'm going to give you three very practical things today that's going to help me and you cultivate a relationship with the Lord. Now, let me just say this on the front end. I realize that for many of you, uh, I'm not going to say anything you've never heard before. But I want to just say this to you today. How many of you realize that we need to many times, the Bible says, be stirred up, stirred up by being put in remembrance of those things that we already know? Because sometimes we, we, just, we just drift from that place that we're supposed to be in. Uh, isn't it amazing how many times that you have got into a life-giving relationship with God and you're like, man, this is amazing, and man, this is awesome, and man, I can't even believe all these good things are happening, and then all of a sudden you find yourself drifting away from that thing that has done nothing but empowered and embattered your life, made your life better to go where God has called you to do. So today, we're going to talk about the three eyes. So let's look at that next screen, the three eyes of intimacy. Y'all with me? I just want to make sure y'all were awake, right? Not the three sides, the three eyes of intimacy. So y'all good? Y'all know who Cy Robinson is? 
All right, well, I just want to make y'all, you know, sometimes I'm not sure if y'all are listening. Y'all listening? All right, let, me, let me tell you a good Cy Robinson story while we got him up on the screen right there. Uh, my good Cy Robinson story is my good Curtis Snyder story. Anybody know who Curtis Snyder is? He's like the most famous person here at Liberty Church. He's amazing. And so Brother Curtis, Brother Curtis has an awesome Cy Robinson story because uh, a couple years ago, uh, all the Duck Dynasty people came to Coleman County to do this big thing, and they were all there, and they were doing their thing. And Brother Curtis had no clue about Duck Dynasty and had no clue who Cy Robinson was. And so Brother Curtis is in Walmart in Coleman County, and Cy Robinson's in there. And Brother Curtis sees Cy, and he looks about like that. And Brother Curtis, uh, he sighs kind of following Curtis through Walmart. And Brother Curtis is thinking, who is this guy? And Curtis, this is what Curtis said. He said, I thought he was a poor guy wanting to come up and ask me for money. <laughs> so y'all need to line up our church. Five Brother Curtis, he was the second service. And say, hey, I want to hear the Cy Robinson story, right? Because it's pretty awesome. So, all right, so not the three sides. Let's talk about the three eyes. Of intimacy. The first one is you have to invest. If you're going to have an intimate personal relationship with God, you have to invest time at the feet of Jesus. Now, at the feet of Jesus, that's kind of a spiritual phrase that we use that literally just means spending time alone with God. It is focused time in the presence of God. It is focused time geared toward knowing and growing in your relationship with Jesus. We also call it having a quiet time, but there's a lot of different ways to say it, but ultimately, if you're going to have, that last statement says, if you're going to have a healthy, growing relationship with anybody, it's going to require an investment of time. You're going to have to invest time in your relationship with God. Really simple, pretty obvious, but not very well practiced by most Christians. And let me tell you why. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 10. It says, Now it happened as they went that he, and the he here is Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. It says that she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted, and right there is the problem. We all know we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because if you're going to have a healthy relationship with anybody, you're going to have to invest some time. I took Samantha with me uh, to Louisiana because we just wanted to have some daddy-daughter time, right? We wanted to invest some time. So six hours riding and six hours coming back, we just talked. Why? Because I realize that if I want to have a good relationship with my children, I actually have to invest time in them. I have to talk to them outside of go clean your room and clean the house and do this and do that, right? That, that's, you know, that's all necessary, but we actually have to talk. We actually have to spend time together that's focused on cultivating and strengthening our relationship. Not just time together doing tasks, but time together strengthening and growing our relationship. And so the Bible says that Martha was distracted. And I want to say to you, I believe that the greatest challenge facing the modern day church in America is busyness. We are so distracted by the busyness of our lives. We are so distracted. How many, let me just say this to you. You can be distracted by good things. How I many you know your family is a good thing, but if you're not careful, you'll let your family keep you so busy, you won't have time to build a relationship with Jesus. We have these little things we call them cell phones, and you know maybe it's debatable whether they're good or bad, but anyway, I, I think they're good most of the time. But if we're not careful, 
we'll be distracted by the text message and the email and the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram and all the now Periscope and all these wonderful new social media stuff things that we got going on that you know I just can't stay away from it for more than two seconds because something might happen in somebody else's life that is totally irrelevant to me and I just got to know about it because it don't matter and it will never change my life but I want to know what did you eat for supper last night oh that's amazing So, Martha was distracted, and if we're not really careful, the investment of time that is required for you to have a real relationship with God will be stolen from you, be stripped away from you, be taken from you by all the little distractions of life, your family, your phone, your job, your obligations, your hobbies, all these little crazy things will rob you daily and consistently of a genuine relationship with God. So we have to make sure that we are investing time, and I want to give you three things here in just a minute. We're going to go back to the original screen there that's going to tell you how to create a safe place distraction-free zone that you can cultivate a relationship with God. But the Bible also says she was distracted with much serving. And that's interesting. Because here's the truth I want you to understand. You can get so busy serving God that you don't take time to know Him. See, one of the things as a pastor that I have to do is sometimes I have to sit down with passionate, zealous, excited people that are on fire for Jesus and they want to serve in every ministry across every arena of the church and they want to serve on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I have to sit down with those folks and say, man, I tell you what, uh, no. No, no, you, no, you can't do that and no, you can't do that and no, you can't serve here. Well, Pastor Keith, I just want to serve God. I'm so excited about Jesus and I just love the Lord and that's awesome. But you know what? You're already gone three nights a week and you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a day uh, through a week on your job. You actually need to go home and spend a little time with your family. Because here, here's, here's the priority list we believe here at Liberty. Number one, we believe relationship with God is number one. We believe relationship with your family is number two. And we believe ministry comes number three. Because if you don't have a family, you won't have a ministry. If your family falls apart, then your ministry falls apart. So you've got to have a relationship with God, you got to have a right relationship with your family, and then you can have a ministry in that order. And if that's not the right order, then the, your life will not properly function, and it will not be fulfilled in the way God intended it to. And so I want you to see she was distracted by much serving. Let me tell you what else I've seen in ministry. I've seen people that if they weren't teaching a class on Sunday, they didn't study their Bible through the week. The only time they read their Bible was when they knew they had to teach or when they knew they had to preach or when they knew they had to lead something. And as long as they were leading something or teaching something or preaching something, they would study their Bible and they would pray. But if they didn't have something to teach or something to preach or something to lead, then there was no intimacy with God. And I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Keith, i just got to be involved in ministry because if I'm not involved in ministry, my relationship with God suffers. How many of you know that's messed up? See, I should have a relationship with God that produces ministry because let me tell you a truth. Ministry does not produce intimacy. Ministry will suck the life out of you. 
Right? Because if all you do is give and 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 go and give and go and give and go, then at the end of the day, you're exhausted. And you're like, boy, this is so much fun serving Jesus. But if you actually cultivate a relationship with God that fuels ministry, then all of a sudden your life is in order. There is a biblical order to your life that makes your Christianity now a life-giving fountain. Because I don't have a relationship with God because I'm in the ministry. I'm in the ministry because I have a relationship with God. And so Martha was distracted by much serving and by ministry. And she appeared to Jesus, approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her, I love this scripture, tell her to help me. Now, let me tell you what I love about the scripture. I love this scripture right here because Martha fully believed that when she went to Jesus, he was going to get on to Mary. I mean, she thought, man, when I tell Jesus what Mary's doing to me, she's left me. She's in there sitting at his feet. She's listening to his word. She's gleaning his truth. And I'm in here serving. I'm fixing all this food, taking care of all these people, doing all this stuff. When I go and tell Jesus what Mary's done, he's going to give her a tongue lashing, and she's going to get in this kitchen and help me. And I know she thought that. Do you know why I know she thought that? Because if she thought Jesus was on Mary's side, she'd have never said nothing to Jesus. I mean, think about your life, right? When you're inviting somebody else into your fight, you only invite people in that are on your side. <laughs> you don't invite people in that are on your spouse's side. You don't invite people in that are on your kid's side. No, you invite people in that are on your side so they can come in and say, yes, she is right. And that's exactly what you need. And so Martha goes to Jesus, and she thinks, man, he is going to get all over Mary. And look what happened. Next verse. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Look at the next verse, verse 42. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus was not saying you shouldn't serve. Jesus was saying there is a priority that intimacy precedes ministry. That you serve because you have a relationship with God. You don't serve in order to get a relationship with God. And so Jesus said one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part. And it's not going to be taken away. He said I'm not going to rebuke her. I'm not going to correct her. Because she's doing what everybody needs to do. She is sitting at my feet. She is gleaning, listening and learning. Let's go back to that statement. So we have to invest time at the feet of Jesus. And I just put four things. There's 4,000 things that can happen at the feet of Jesus, but I just put four things. Number one, at the feet of Jesus, we listen. We listen. We listen to His voice. We listen to His Word. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We listen. We learn at the feet of Jesus. It's so amazing. Man, I write down stuff. When, when, you, when you have quiet time, I want to encourage you, you need to journal your quiet time. And I use, a, I use my iPad because I can't read my own writing. So if I write down something, I'll never know what it says. I mean, I'll go back tomorrow and I can't read it. <laughs> so I have to type everything. So I type. So I have a journal. I have, a, I have just a, a Word document that I use. And I keep a journal of everything that I learn and what I hear God say when I'm at His feet. 
And so when we're at His feet, we listen. When we're at His feet, we learn. When we're at His feet, we worship and we pray. And that's not in a specific order because that thing kind of changes a little bit. It's fluid in the sense that, that there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a spontaneity of the Holy Spirit that happens when I'm at the feet of Jesus. But here's the key. I want you to see this. Three things that you need if you're going to cultivate a real relationship with God. Number one, you need a set time. You need to make an appointment with God. See, you're busy, I'm busy. And if you don't have a set appointment, say I live by a calendar, and if it's not on my calendar, it won't get done. Because stuff will fill my time. Right? I'm never sitting around twiddling my thumbs saying, man, I wish I had something to do. And you know what? You're not either. There's always clothes to watch. There's always kids to feed. There's always tasks to be done. There's always chores around the house. There's always a phone call to make, an email to respond, a text message to get back to. There's always something fighting for your time. So you need a set time. You need to make an appointment with God. See, anything that's really important, you'll put on your calendar. When you call the doctor and you make a doctor's appointment, what do you do? You write on the calendar. You say, hey, honey, what are you doing? Don't let me forget, next Thursday at 2 o'clock, I can be at the doctor's office. Why? Because that's important. When you go for a job interview, they don't say, well, just show up anytime. Yeah, just walk in whenever you feel comfortable. No, they have an appointment. Right? Some of you ladies, when you go get your hair done, you, you make an appointment. And it's important, right? And if it's important to you, you'll make an appointment. And you'll schedule everything around it. If you don't have an appointment with God, this is what I know. You're probably inconsistent in the quality time that you spend at the feet of Jesus. A little here, a little there. Maybe a lot here, maybe not so much there. And it's just very unstable. But if the most important relationship we have is a relationship with God, shouldn't it be so important that we set a time? My time is first thing in the morning. Usually between 5.30 and 6 o'clock, I sit at the feet of Jesus. You need a set time. You need a set place. My place, and why do you need a set place? Because you need a distraction-free zone. Right? You have to actually, on purpose, remove distractions. Because if you don't, on purpose, remove distractions, distractions will come. You will be overcome by distractions. The phone will ring. The kids will do this. Your wife will do that. Your spouse will do that. The, the boss will call. All this stuff will happen, right? See, I, I made a decision years ago, and I don't always keep this, but I try most mornings. The, the first voice I want to hear is the voice of God. Before I hear what the text message says, before I hear what the email says, before I hear what any other person says, I want to hear from God before I hear from anybody else. And I know me. If I go to that Google app, that Gmail app, before I go to the Bible app, I'll be distracted. If I look at those numbers on my text message and I open that thing up before I open my Bible app, I'll be distracted. If I open that little blue Facebook app before I open my Bible app, I'll be distracted. If I go in there and try to start a conversation with my wife, I'll be distracted. I want to hear from God before I hear from anybody else. Why? Because what I do first thing in the morning sets the pace for my entire day. Now maybe the first thing in the morning is not the preeminent time for you. That's fine. You just need a set time. You need a set place. Where are you going to do it? I do it at our dining room table at 5.30 in the morning. My dining room is dead. Praise God. It's a beautiful place. No distractions. No chaos. No confusion. And I can go and I sit there. I got my Liberty Church coffee mug. I'm drinking me a hot cup of coffee. And I'm spending some time with Jesus. 
And then you need a strategic plan. Why do you need a strategic plan? Because you need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. I talk to Christians all the time, and I say, man, what are you doing in your quiet time? Well, I'm reading these three different devotionals, and they're really awesome. That's great. Read the Bible. Well, Pastor Keith, I'm reading your blog. That's great. Read the Bible. Well, I'm listening to YouTube videos. That's great. Read the Bible. Well, I'm listening to podcasts. That's great. Read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me and you, right? We need the Bible. God reveals himself through his word. His word reveals the nature, the character, the heart, the passion, the purpose, the direction of God for your life. You need a strategic plan to read scripture. Because if you don't have a plan to read scripture, then there's nothing holding you accountable. So when you get ready to go to bed at night, and you ain't had your set time, and you ain't went to your set place, and you ain't followed your strategic plan, you don't even think about it. But how many know if you have an appointment and you miss it, Something in you says, man, you were supposed to do that. Something in you says, man, you were supposed to accomplish that. And so I need a strategic plan. There's all kind of Bible reading. There's thousands of Bible reading plans out there. I recommend the one-year Bible. Kelly and I have been doing that now for over five years. And I can go back in my, uh, on, my, on my iPad, on my journal, back to 2010. And I've got my daily quiet time, what God spoke to me. And what I'll do every now and then is I'll be reading something. Today's January the 9th, and I'll be reading something on January the 9th. And I'll think, man, I wonder what, that was awesome. I'll write down what the Lord spoke to me. And I'll go back three years ago and look on January the 9th, 2012. Now 2000, whatever it is, I guess. And, and I'll go back, and that's amazing how I read the same scriptures, but I got something totally different out of it. You know why? Because God speaks specifically into the arena of life that you're operating in right now. God speaks specifically into the arena of life that you're operating in right now. Let me give you the second eye. Second eye. So we need, number one, we need to invest time, set place, set time, strategic plan. Number two, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of every area of our lives. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of every area of your life. It is impossible to know God intimately apart from the Holy Spirit. You can read the Bible and know about God, but if you're not using, if you're not utilizing a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you're never going to know God intimately and passionately and purposely like God intended you to know Him. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and the Bible says He leads us and guides us in all truth. Let's look at John 16. Jesus said, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's go back there. Jesus said three things the Holy Spirit will do right here in this one verse. Number one, He's going to guide you in all truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. One of the reasons many Christians don't understand the Bible is they read it, they read it intellectually, but they don't read it spiritually. It's not, the Bible says the things of God are spiritually discerned. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible. And it really is as simple as when you get ready to read the Bible, saying, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I read today. It's that simple. Holy Spirit, help me. To understand, you need to invite the Holy Spirit into every area of your life. Because if you don't invite Him, He won't come. If you don't invite Him, He won't come. Because how many of you know that what, that how many of y'all know what ignored people do? Ignored people don't do anything. 
Right? Imagine if you're in a room and you up, there's five people standing there and you say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? You skip that person. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And you never talk to that center person. Then you talk to these two and you look over and you talk to these two and you talk to these two and then after about five minutes you walk away. That person in the center that you ignored, you know what? He never talked to you. He never interacted with you. He never engaged you. Right? Why? Because you ignored him. If you're ignoring the Holy Spirit, he's not speaking. He's not leading and he's not guiding you. Why? Because he is waiting on an invitation for you, to, for him to work and guide your life. All you got to do is ask him. Many hen wrote a book entitled Good Morning Holy Spirit. I will say that nine out of ten mornings when I get up this morning, when I woke up, I was laying in the bed. I said, Good morning, Holy Spirit. I invited him into my day. He will guide you in all truth. If you want to understand the Bible, invite the Holy Spirit to help you. The Bible says this book was, was, was written by holy men of God who were moved by the, holy, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathed the breath of life into this book. And it's alive because of the Spirit of the Lord. And so he guides you into all truth. The second thing the Bible says there is he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So the second thing he does, not only does he guide us, he speaks to us. I meet Christians all the time and say, well, Pastor Keith, I've never heard the voice of the Lord. Well, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've, heard, I've met people that have, but I've never personally heard the audible voice of God. But I hear God speak every day. Every day He speaks. And every time I invite Him, I, a, little, a little, little prayer that I pray throughout my day is help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, I was in a counseling session and and it just, we just kind of hit a wall. And I was sitting there counseling and, and just kind of come to a wall. And it was kind of one of those awkward, silent moments. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I, am, I don't have a clue what to do right now. I am just totally clueless. And I said, help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me what to do. And within about two minutes, the presence of God broke through in that place. Breakthrough came, healing came, freedom came, deliverance came. And we walked out of that room that day alive in Christ. Because I just simply invited the Holy Spirit to come. He speaks, He guides, He shows you, He will tell you things to come. This is exciting. The Holy Spirit will begin to quicken you. He'll, he'll, he'll prompt your heart to start praying specifically for your children about something that hadn't happened yet. And He'll say, you need to start praying this way for your daughter. You need to start praying this way for your son. You need to start praying this way for your spouse. You need to start praying this way for that, that lady you work with on your job. And all of a sudden, you start praying things. You're like, God, that only makes sense. Why do I need to pray that? And all of a sudden, tomorrow, something happens. Next week something happens and you realize why God told you to start praying now because he was telling you things to come. He was preparing you for what was going to happen. I mean, I've had the Holy Spirit tell me things and say, tomorrow so-and-so is going to come in and say this or this is going to happen on the job or this is going to happen in that relationship and I want you to be ready so you're not surprised so you can respond by my leading and not out of shock. All you got to do is, all you got to do is invite him. See, I'm nothing special. God doesn't speak to me because I'm a preacher. God speaks to me because I ask Him to. I invite the Holy Spirit in. Let's look at the rest of this. 
Great stuff. Jesus said he will glorify me for he will, not, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Look at the next verse. And all, the, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. One more. Well, let's, let's, let's go back there for just a second. Let me, let me give you this thought. People sometimes, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, they get a little freaky. They're like, well, Pastor Keith, well, I, I don't want to forget about Jesus. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. If you forgot about Jesus, you're not following the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will glorify me. He's going to take up what's mine. He's going to reveal it to you. And he's always going to glorify me. The Holy Spirit builds up Jesus. He exalts Jesus. He magnifies Jesus. Now look here in Romans. Let's go Romans 8. I want to give you two more verses, three more verses here about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. That's how you do it. Where do you get victory? By the Spirit. Where do you get triumphant power? By the Spirit. Where do you get overcoming ability? By the Spirit. Where do you get grace to stand? By the Spirit. That's where it comes from. You put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, and then guess what the Bible says? You will live. There's life. Amen in God. Let's look at that next verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That word son means offspring, but it goes even further than that. It means one who resembles the character and nature of God. See, when you begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, your life will begin to reflect the character and nature of God. And people will look at you and they'll see Jesus. They'll look at you and they'll see the glory of God. They'll look at you and they'll see the grace of God. They'll look at you and they'll see the life of God. You will begin to reflect. When you're led by the Holy Spirit, your life will reflect the character and nature of God. Now, let me give you one last thought on the Holy Spirit right here. This is awesome. For, if you did, for, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. So the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba, Father is an endearing term. It is a term of affection. Like daddy. It's not, yes, sir, it's, oh, daddy, I love you. It's not, let me stand in fear of you. It's, let me run and jump in your lap, daddy. And so this is what Jesus said, or this is what uh, Paul said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption, and the Holy Spirit creates a holy cry in our hearts. You know what we cry out for? We cry out for God, the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, and the Holy Spirit makes your heart long to know God like a daddy, to crawl in his lap, to find comfort in his arms. One of my favorite stories, a guy named Mark Batterson tells. He said, everything changes when you get, some, get in the arms of God. He said he was in the elevator, had his three-year-old little daughter. They got in the elevator at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, some business somewhere, and he said, as we got in, all of a sudden a bunch of other people got in. And he said, we were packed in this elevator. And he said, I looked down at my little daughter. I had her hand. I looked down at her. And he said, there was this look of horror on her face. She was scared. And he said, my natural response, he said, I just reached down and grabbed her and picked her up in my arms. And he said, when I picked her up in my arms, she went from a look of fear and terror to a, to a smile of peace. And he said, the Lord spoke to him at that moment. He said, you know what changed in her life? He said, the only changed thing that changed was the perspective that she got from being in your arms. Nothing changed but the perspective of her life from being in your arms. 
See, the Holy Spirit creates a holy cry that causes us to run to God and crawl up in His lap. And when you get in your daddy's arms, all of a sudden there's a peace. There's a joy that comes. Amen? Let me give you the last one. And we're going to close with this. The third I. Number one, I have to invest time. Number two, I have to invite the Holy Spirit. Number three, I have to respond to the invitation. That's the third I. Invitation of the Lord. I have to respond to the invitation of the Lord. This is the bridge that takes us from knowing God into a place where we begin to do God's will. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this last point. The invitation of God. See, when you begin to know God and you spend time with God and you begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, as God works in you, now God is going to begin to work through you. And God is going to give you a holy invitation. What does that mean? It simply means this. God is going to invite you. Now here's a great thought. Not to work for Him, but to come alongside and work with Him. We are laborers together with God, the Bible says. God wants you to work with Him. Not work for Him. You're not some, some little servant that God puts down on a lower shelf. You're His son and His daughter. And God wants to invite you to come alongside Him. And He says, you know what? I want you to work with me over here in this area. And I want you to work with me in this area. And I want you to work. And all of a sudden, God invites you. And it is that invitation that creates the bridge where we go from now knowing God, being changed by God, into actually working with God to do His will. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how do we live that out? How do we discern His will? How do we experience His will? How do we walk in His will as we respond to the invitation of the Lord? I want you to stand to your feet.